Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. I love to hear God's people laugh. I love to hear God's people sing. And that was just an amazing 30 minutes right there. Amen. Amen. Brother Joe is at a uh, funeral away. A dear friend of the church, Mark Trotter, you know, passed away in his memorial service and funeral was this weekend. And Brother Joe was asked to be a part of that. And so be in prayer for him as he travels back and forth and for him today as he has to speak, because I know it will be very, very trying for him. Today we're going to talk about encourage. You know, we've spent some time this year talking about evangelism. And encourage is really the second E that the church has presented to you in the 5 E process of discipleship. Encourage, as we would think of it, would be small groups. But small groups is more than just a Sunday school class gathering. It can be a home group. It can be a ministry group. There's a lot of ministry groups around that have a very close uh, relationship. I know in the elementary department we have teachers and a director that were very close. I know in the media, the sound team, that uh, they have to rely on each other so much. The choir could be considered a small group. And there's a word in your Bible called fellowship. And that's really what encourages about. It's about relationships. It's about fellowship. The word in the New Testament is called koine. Um, no, it's not koine. It's koine, <laughs> koinonia. Koinonia. And so it means fellowship. It has to do with brotherhood. It has to do with camaraderie. It has to do with things that we have in common. It has to do with a family. The word is first used in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So if you'll read with me, we'll have a lot of verses to flip through back and forth today. So I hope you brought your Bibles or your tablet, your phone, and that you're ready to go to work with me. In Acts chapter 2, 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. There's the word koinonia. It's fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were gathered together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man hath need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such that should be saved. Father God, I pray that you bless the reading of your word, bless your message today, and bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Now the coordinator, once again, is this idea of being in agreement with one another. One of the characteristics of the new church that's being now formulated in Jerusalem after Pentecost is unity, it's fellowship, it's wanting to be around each other, but they had common bonds, not just in their Jewish heritage, not just around this feast of, of Passover and Pentecost, why Jerusalem is so swollen in population at this time, but now underneath a new banner, which is Christian or Christ. They have now received Christ as their Messiah, and these people who are being saved are uh, part now of what we would consider the church or the way that we would look at it today. And it's a koinonia, it's the relationship that they have with one another. They have the purpose of getting together to supply one another's needs, to be able to share each other's burdens, to be able to help each other in prayer and, and support. Historically speaking, if you'll go to Acts 1.15, and we're going to take a little survey of Acts right quick. Acts 1.15, you will find that in the upper room you have 120 believers and this is, the, this is the core of what's left 
after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, this is the core of the disciples and the ladies that are around that are wanting to follow Christ at all costs. And they have now experienced Pentecost. We're fixing to. In Acts 2.41, as you turn there, just as we kind of go through our scriptures, you'll see, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, you've heard this before, how it went from 120 to now 3,000 souls are being saved in this uh, preaching of Peter and of the disciples. You go to Acts 4.4, which is just a page over from me, and it says, Howbeit many of them were heard the word, believed, and the number of the men now were 5,000, or 5,000 has now increased to the church. So the church is growing in an unbelievable rate. Let me tell you one reason for this, because the Jews that have come now from all over the world to settle into Jerusalem for these high feast days, Passover, Pentecost, Unleavened Bread, they have a very uh, inert uh, history of knowing the scriptures, of being able to quote whole chapters and books of the Bible. The Jewish people were the avenue which God gave us, the oracles of God, and they took that very seriously. These people who have come to Jerusalem are devout people of the scriptures. And so they knew. And so when Peter started explaining and the other disciples, and it's backed up by the sign of Pentecost where Peter can speak and all the congregation can hear in their own language, they understood now that the Old Testament is being revealed in the New Testament. Peter is revealing this Messiah that's supposed to come, how he was supposed to suffer be buried and rise again, and that this very Messiah that they were looking for is the Christ. And so these Jews that have came and swollen into Jerusalem at this point had a very good background of the Scriptures, and when Peter preached and revealed Christ to them through the Old Testament, they believed. And that's why you have such a, a number of believers coming to Christ in this time. In uh, Acts 5.4, or 5.14, if you follow along with me, this gets, keeps getting bigger and bigger. It says, And behold, the man which was healed standing by them, well, Acts 5.14, I'll get there right quick. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. And when you see the word multitude, what that's talking about is a number that really cannot be measured. It's, it, the crowd is so big that they cannot number them. In Acts 5.28, it grows even further. It says, saying, do not we strictly command you that you should not teach in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Now, historically, Jerusalem probably had about 250,000 uh, occupants in the city roundabout. And that's just an estimate. But even if that number is true, you've got to realize that if the disciples' doctrine now has filled the uh, Jerusalem... There are some 100,000 people who have come to Christ in this little Jewish community. So this number is getting unbelievably large. As you look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, And in those days when the numbers of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring. And so the ideal here is now they went from addition to multiplication. When the disciples uh, were being multiplied, that is now the people who have been won to Christ are now going out, spreading the gospel, and winning others to Christ also. So now the church is multiplying out. In Acts 6, 7, it says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And that's another idea of saying that, man, now it, this thing is getting larger, it's getting larger, it's getting larger. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 21 and verse 20, 
It talks about how there are thousands that are coming to Christ. And the number that is used there in Acts 21.20, it says, And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto them, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands, that little term in the Greek, because the Greek did not have numbers like we did up into the millions and billions and trillions and quadrillions, they didn't have that. So when you start seeing many thousands, what it's saying is thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. That's unbelievable how the church has now spanned and grown in Jerusalem in just a very short period of time. And there's a strategy that God used in order to do this. If you'll go back now to Acts 5 in verse 24 or 42, Acts 5, 42, it says this, Acts 5, 42. It says, and daily in the temple and in every house. That is the strategy that the disciples used, that God used in order to reach these people. And that's the principle that we even actually use today. If I could clarify for you today, this is the large group gathering. And that's what they did at the temple. The courts around Solomon's temple could hold easily 50,000 people standing up. They wouldn't have necessarily had chairs like we would have today, that they would have had a congregation or a PA system. But people would congregate in those, in those courtyards. And as Peter and the disciples are standing up on the stairs and they're speaking out to these large congregations of people, there's a large group gathering. But there's also a smaller group gathering that are found in the homes, and that's where the fellowship, that's where the glue comes together for the local church. See, the church should grow larger and smaller at the same time. And this is the dual strategy. Large group worship and small group fellowship, I believe, is the biblical strategy that God used, and we use it today in the large group gathering here, and then in our small groups, Sunday school classes, small group care groups, our ministry groups, and that helps to have the glue that holds the church together. Another way of speaking to that is there's smaller churches that operate inside a larger church. And that's the way that I believe God ordained it in the book of Acts. Now let me give you today four levels of fellowship, four levels of encouraging, four levels of small groups. The first level is membership, and that is choosing to belong. There's three ways that you belong to the local church in membership. First of all, you need to be a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to belong and to have this koinonia, to have this fellowship, to have this camaraderie, you need to be born again into the body of Christ. You need to be saved. You need to come to a point in your life when you know that you're a sinner and you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and now you're born into God's family. 1 John 1, 6, 7, let me quote it for you. It says, if we say that we have fellowship, koinonia, with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, the koinonia, the camaraderie, the brotherhood, one with another, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us all from all sin. The Bible says in John 1, 12, it says, but as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to be called the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. So the first level, or the first way that you belong to this koinonia, to this church, to this fellowship, to this brotherhood, is by becoming saved and recognizing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The second way that you believe or that you become a member or you start to belong inside this fellowship is membership in the local church. Romans chapter 6 talks about how you're baptized into the body of Christ. 
And we do that through Discover DBC. Anybody who wants to know more about the church can go through this class that we have uh, once a month that uh, kind of answers the questions that people have that want to be assimilated to this local body of of believers, of this local body of the Kononia, and so they can learn more and present themselves as members. And so that's the second way that you can belong to this membership. But the third way that you can belong to this church is through small groups. It's through small groups. In 1994... I remember the day that we walked through the office doors up there and went to room what we would call 101. They set me down at a men's round table and set my new wife, fiance, over at the girls' table. And I will tell you, to be real honest with you, I was absolutely scared to death. And I looked around at all these new faces, and they looked scared too. And I looked over to the guy next to me, literally, and I said, I said, dude, I said, is, is this a cool church? Is this a good church? Tell me about this church. And he, and he said, he looked at me and said, dude, he said, this is my first time here too. I have no idea. And, and we were just all scared. And it turned out that that day, if memory serves correct, there was three new young men trying to grow up, trying to get right, trying to get into the local church. Three young men, that, well, that was their first time at that table because that department at the time was exploding with young uh, professionals and young married people. It was a wave that God created during that time. And, and that fellowship, that membership of that small group meant the world to me. Because I was trying to go from darkness to light. I was trying to go from dirty to clean. And I needed help. I needed somebody to come along beside me as a care group leader, as a lay pastor... And show me the ropes. I needed somebody to disciple me. I needed somebody to take me underneath their wing. I needed somebody to keep me track. I needed somebody to keep me accountable. And keep me on the right path that God was having me on. And that happened for me through small groups. And I, to this day, still have wonderful relationships with that department, people in that department. In fact, one of our missionaries out of our church, Lori Allred, was a teacher in that department at the time. Wonderful relationships that have now spanned almost uh, 25 to 26 years. And I praise the God that God put me in a small group to allow me to have the glue I needed to be connected to the larger group and feel a part of it. I have Acts chapter 2, verse 41, going back to our proof text. And they that gladly received the word were baptized. That is a large group in my mind. And someday they were added to them about 3,000 souls. And then here's the small group. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. But listen to me today because I'm fixing to give you a warning. So bear with me right quick. Hebrews 10, 25, 24 says this. And let us... Consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see that day, the day approaching. As we are going through history on this timeline, we are getting closer and closer to the day that Jesus Christ is coming back. And I promise you it will get evil 
and more evil and more evil as this timeline progresses because the Bible tells us this, as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, as in the days of Noah, evil was rampant upon this earth. There were certain characteristics of that generation that we can look at today and see that we also have that rampant in our culture, in our generation. And I promise you the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And as we know that Jesus is coming back, we need to do more diligence to be able to meet to be able to have that glue, to have that fellowship, to have that accountability so that we are found faithful when he returns. And that's found in the local church through the large group assembly and through the small group fellowships. I need you and you need me. We are a body together. But you have to try. Get this in Proverbs 18:24. A man that hath a friend must show himself friendly. I cannot tell you, and not to step on toes, but just to kind of maybe exhort a little bit. Can I tell you how many times somebody will come up and they say, I just didn't feel like I belonged. Well, I just didn't want to, I just didn't feel like going today. And I'm telling you this, if you want friends, you must show yourself friendly. You've got to get up and come to church. You've got to get around the small group. You've got to get engaged. You've got to belong. And that's one thing that I think that we need as we see the day coming closer and closer. And I want you to know as we get leads in from the church, like from our large group or through our evangelistic efforts that Brother Cody is leading up, he's the pastor's over evangelism right now, then we will be handing those leads off to our directors and to our teachers and to our lay people to follow up because not only do we need visitors in the auditorium and to make them feel welcomed here, we also need to get them assimilated into the small groups so that they can have that same experience I had of brotherhood, a community, of koinonia, of belonging. The second level is friendship. We talked about the first level, which is membership. The second level is friendship. This is learning to share. In Acts 2, 42, it says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And I believe that there's four ways that are indicated in that scripture right there of ways to share. First of all, we need to come together in a small group around the study of God's Word. That is the central element that we have in our koinonia, in our relationships, in our fellowships. Because without Him, we're just different groups. We could be associated with softball, with Alabama versus Auburn versus Tennessee or Georgia, whoever you want to go for. You can have maybe a different uh, work group. I'm a part of this, this corporation but as we come together collectively as Decatur Baptist Church, the center principle element that we have is that we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes center in our life, center in our church, center in our existence. Amen. So study together. What does it mean for us? It means the apostles' doctrine. I remember also those, those young men that I was a part of back in the early 90s, how that we would go home after Sunday night service, after being fed all day, the Word of God, and sharing pizza and Mountain Dew in a small little apartment that's over just across the way behind Lowe's and Publix right now. And we would just dissect and digest what we had learned that day and how eager we was to have this koinonia, this fellowship around God's Word. I cherished those days. Philippians 1.5 says, for your fellowship, your koinonia, is in the gospel from the first day that you've heard it until now, Philippians 1.5. The second way that we need to learn to share in this thing called friendship, 
we need to share together, and that is the idea of sitting around, sharing each other's lives. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And when I walked around the other day, as I'm taking on the ownership of Encourage throughout our church and small groups throughout our church, I was walking around trying to get to reacquaint myself with people. I know most everybody, but just kind of get to know where everybody's at and the processes that they use in their departments. And I was walking in the hallway, and I love to hear God's people laugh. I think there is a joy among God's people. And I'd poke my head into these small groups, and I'd say something. They'd say something back, and we'd just all cackle. And, and we'd go on down to the next one. You could hear the ladies over in this department. And you could hear maybe the people over in this department. And it just seems so good to have God's house occupied and to have God's house vibrant, to have God's house alive, and to see the Spirit of God moving through the people as we, wait for it, wait for it, as we enjoy one another. I love it. I absolutely love it. Third way that we can share together is we share through God's Word, share through sitting around and just visiting. That's the fellowship part. We share together by serving together. That's the breaking of the bread. That's coming over to my house, me coming over to your house, serving one another. That's serving together in these in these uh, ministry groups that we have and, and the relationships that we have as we plow through uh, evangelism and try to reach out into our community. You know, we have the CIC coming up, the Community Impact Celebration. And that's where we get together in groups. We go out and we do service projects for all the uh, nonprofits that, we're, that we've attached to. And I'm telling you right now, that's going to be coming out, uh, more information, but it's going to be a great time. What GIC is for missions, CIC, Community Impact uh, Celebration, will be for our Jerusalem and for our evangelism efforts. And it's just a wonderful thing. But we'll be serving together as we share Christ with our community. So we study, we're sharing together our lives, we're serving together, the breaking of bread, and then we're suffering together. That's another way that we can develop our friendships Suffering together through prayer. Suffering together by bearing one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 uh, 2 says, Bear ye one another burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you're doing now. Let me give you some ground rules, though, as you're sharing in small group. There's not... A, very many of us around here that would classify as doctorate of psychology or can administer medicine or know all the Freudian different uh, avenues that he uses. There's not very many of us around here that are Dr. Phil's or Oprah's, okay, that can solve everybody's issues. So we need to be very careful as we're bearing one another's burdens because there's only one true healer, and that healer is Christ. We can apply his word to situations in people's lives. We can apply comfort and support and sympathy and then sometimes empathy. But we have to be very, very careful not to act like we're counselors or something that we're not because you can really hurt people if you're not careful. But if you're applying love and you're applying the word of God, it's hard to go wrong. Let people know how much you care and then they'll want to know how much you know. The ground rules are this. What is said in the small group should stay in the small group. Gossip is one of those elements that will destroy a church. A marriage that is suffering 
If gossip gets out, there will be some that will take the man's side. There will be some that takes the woman's side. And it will be very hard for them to reconcile because now they have warring factions in the classroom. And you lose face if you feel like that you have not conquered the other party. What happens in the group has to stay in the group. There needs to be an authenticity to that group. Not minimizing people's pain. I cannot tell you how many times I sit around and listen to somebody and they go, well, I've gone through this, this, and this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, really? That's your big issue? You should see mine. And I have this whole list of things that I think I'm concerned about, right? And I believe you do too, if you'll be real honest, because it is all about me and my little world, right? It's all about you. But we have to be careful not to minimize other people's pain because their pain is their pain. I'll give you an example. A three-year-old that had a toy taken from him is the equivalent of somebody coming over and stealing your pickup truck. His pain is his pain. He feels lost. He feels violated. He feels all these different things. He's crying. He's slapping the other kid. And to be honest with you, that's what you would want to do if somebody stole your pickup truck, right? And so you cannot minimize other people's pain because their pain is their pain. But you can have sympathy and say, you know what? God help you. I'll be praying for you in that. Let me, let me, can I assist you in any way? What can I do? What happens in the group stays in the group. Don't minimize people's pain. Here's another ground rule of as we're sharing and praying for one another, try not to fix people's problems. God, God has a way of working, and I'm not sure that you're privy to all that he's trying to do in that person's life. There are times when I want to step in and throw money at a situation at a friend who's in dire need but in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, God is letting him go through that because there's a reason. There is something that God is trying to teach my friend that I'm not privy to. Amen. And I can support, I can comfort, I can pray, but there are some times I just cannot fix it. And the fourth way of having a ground rule of this suffering and praying for one another is I focus on my own change. Stop trying to change everybody around you. We tell our missionaries that. When you go to a foreign field, don't try to make them American. Don't try to make them Southern Baptist. Don't try to make them Independent Baptist. Don't try to make them this, that, or the other. Share Christ with them and let Christ let them become Christians. You know what I'm saying? But don't, just focus on your own changes. You can pray. You can support. You can show sympathy. Sometimes if you've been through it, you can show empathy. But I'm telling you right now that I do, I do very well just to try to handle my own issues. And God's still working on me. And if God is still working on me, he's probably still working on you. Until he comes back and we have our glorified bodies and our, and our Holy Spirit that he has given to us and our renewed soul and we're complete and we see things clearly and not through a glass darkly, then, then, then we'll be okay. Till then, it's by the grace of God we make it. Amen. So we have membership, we have friendship. The third level of fellowship, the third level of koinonia is partnership. This is doing my part. Here's the phrase I want you to take away from this point. Everybody should have someone to look out for them. That's somebody ministering to you. But everyone should have someone that they're looking out for also. 
This is not just all about you coming here and being fed and being, and being uh, coached and coddled and kissed and hugged and everything else. There's a responsibility to membership. There's a responsibility to the koinonia, to the fellowship, to the brotherhood. You have a part to play, and you need to be engaged in the part that God has given to you. He's given us all gifts and talents. He's given us all different kind of interest and in, in things that we do. And you have a purpose here. You have a place here. You have a, 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 a part of the body that God has designed you specifically for that we need. But you've got to engage in that and not just come and be a pew sitter. You're dissatisfied with things sometimes in the church and in your life. is because you've not engaged in what God has designed you to be. And as we, as we enter into that, we realize that I am more fulfilled, not just when somebody's pouring into me, but also I'm fulfilled when I'm pouring out to others. Amen. And I believe that to be true. In Acts 2.42, which is our, our core text, and all the believers were together and all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man hath need. 1 Corinthians 3.9, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, we are God's building. We are all laborers together with Christ. And let me just kind of stop here and put a caveat on something. We put out in the uh, announcements a couple of months, or about a month ago, help for preschool, right? And, and be honest with you, I, I don't even like keeping preschool. I love the kids, but keeping preschool is hard. That's, that's, that is hard. But I put that out, and the first week that we got it back, we got one response back, and that was the person that I recruited that just happened to, to sign this piece of paper. And in my heart, this is what my heart did. My heart meant what? More poor people for me. Okay. And, uh, and then the next week came, and we had a couple more sign up. And then the third week came, and we was able to meet what we needed to make the preschool work to the standard that we wanted to meet, right? And so what I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to say thank you for responding to that request. They tell us that a visitor will choose a church if they're coming back or not within the first seven minutes of them entering into the campus. That's everything from the parking to the greeters. But one of the main elements of them making that decision is how the child care is, is presented. I remember one time when we were visiting a church in Bodo, uh, we came in with three small kids. I remember walking in the door, and I, and I asked the guy, I said, hey, listen. I said, do you all have a preschool? Do you have a child care? And not making fun, but making fun, okay? All right? He, he goes, I don't know. Hey, Sue, we got a child care anywhere around here. I don't know, Charlie. I don't know. Let's see what's going on. And they just looked around like they didn't have a clue. And then somebody finally walked up and said, hey, uh, I'm so-and-so. Let me help you. And they walked us past the auditorium, outside, through an awning, to a gymnasium, down the stairs, in the corner where there were two teenage girls that were keeping about 20 kids from birth to about four years of age. Now, we're sitting there with a baby, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old going, what? I don't think so. They'll just stay with us. It's fine. I don't want to put a bigger burden on you. That was a very poor experience as a visitor. About a month later, we visited another friend of mine's church that he was wanting us to come by and be kind of a shopper, you know, how, see how things go. In the parking lot, this guy comes up screaming at us in the parking lot going, you got to hurry, you got to hurry. And I go, oh, my goodness, what have we done? And he had a cup of coffee, and he handed me the cup of coffee as he took the baby's pumpkin seat, and he says, we got to get you in service. we got to go. You're all late. 
And he walked us to the preschool. We got the children checked in within just a matter of minutes. I still had his cup of coffee. I don't know if he drank from it or not yet, but I enjoyed it because I was ready for a cup of coffee. And so I, I was sitting there just drinking the coffee while he checked in my kid. And we walk over to the auditorium, and we got ushered in as they're, as they're singing, and, and, and we're, we're standing there. And I, and I thought to myself, being a church connoisseur, what just happened? <laughs> we ended up going to that church for a while. You know why? Because they were prepared in that area. The singing was absolutely wonderful. The preaching was good. I'm just telling you, it was, it was a great fellowship. It wasn't confusing. It wasn't disarrayed. It was absolutely a colonia, and we fit right in. And so thank you for responding to that. I'll give you another one. The college and career, let me brag on you for a minute. We went up and presented our ministry to them, and they've taken on the children's church as far as different couples every week. There's a different couple every week, and we're going to be training them how to take on the responsibilities of leading the songs and the choreographs and the music and then also the teaching part of that because because they saw a need and and they're answering that call amen, amen. me helping you you helping me cornania family fellowship relationships the third level or the fourth level of this ideal of fellowship is kinship we went through membership we went through friendship now we're talking about participation and how you, that you need to engage in that also and then now we're talking about kinship loving believers like a family if we go back to acts 2 46 it says and they continued daily in one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart they were in unity Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such be saved. When you have a cornonia going on, when you have a fellowship, when you authentically love one another and the community knows so, they will bust down our doors to come be a part of something that's greater than they are. And I believe we actually have that here at the Kidder Baptist Church. Amen. I think maybe COVID throw us a curveball. I think that, uh, that we've had a hard year like all other churches. But let me tell you what, we're strong and we're going. And we've got a fellowship, we've got a relationship, we've got a koinonia about us, we've got a brotherhood about us that is not in every local church around here. And I'm telling you right now, I'm very proud to put my name on the roster as member of Decatur Baptist Church. I love you and I know you love me, amen. A powerful example of koinonia should look like this. It is found in the study of one another. So that's the phrase that we're going to cross-reference, one another. I'm going to, I'm going to go through this fast. But if you want the study, email me or just look up in your Bible, one another. Ready? Here we go. We should be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. We should honor one another. That's another one in Romans 12.10. We should have harmony with one another. That's Romans 12.16 and 1 Peter 3.8. We should accept one another, that's Romans 15, 7. We should serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. We should be kind and compassionate to one another, that's Ephesians 4, 3, 4, 32. We should admonish one another, that's Colossians 3, 16. We should encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 and Hebrews 3, 13. We should spur one another uh, towards love and good works. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. We should uh, have hospitality towards one another. That is 1 Peter 4, 9. We should love one another. That is 1 Peter 1, 22, 1 John 3, 11, 
1 John 3, 23, 1 John 4, 7, and 1 John 4, 11 and 12. The Bible is talking about unity. It's talking about love. It's talking about fellowship. It is talking about the koinonia. It's talking about relationships. It's talking about the church of the living God and how we should act and conduct ourselves. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, be you one-minded, having compassion one to another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, pitiful towards each other and courteous. In conclusion, if all we had was big worship, it would be a theater. People would come and go. They would hear a gospel message. But the odds of people actually staying long term would be minimized. If you get them into a small group and with a large group worship, which I think is the strategy found in Acts 5, uh, 42, that they met at the temple courts and heard a collective group of preaching, and then they met from house to house. I think if we use that strategy and we do a better job at that strategy, we implement that strategy on all fronts, then I think what you will see is exponential growth in the body of Christ. People want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to be uh, a part of something that is greater than they are. They want to be a part of something that they're proud of. And I know that they can be that here at Decatur Baptist Church. I'm going to read a very lengthy passage of Scripture in 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Um, I thought of many different ways to end the service. I had some cute stories. I had some jokes. Uh, I had some illustrations. I even thought about an object lesson. But I think I could do no better than to read the Bible and let it speak for us. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is agape. He's total and complete love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, uh, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation, a go-between, a Savior for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we should love one another. We should put down the, the pity differences that we have. We should not gossip. We should support and comfort and pray. We should love. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath given to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells with God and God in him. Herein our love is made mature, is perfected, that we may have bonus in the day of judgment. As you see the day of judgment approaching... You can have boldness because love conquers all. Because he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. 
We love him because he first loved us. If a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his own brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from God, from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. I'm standing here today as an unlovable creature. If you knew me, you wouldn't like me either. But somewhere along the way, God loved me. And because God loved me, you're forced to love me. Don't laugh, it works the other way. <laughs> I set you up to knock you down. It was funny. You should have seen you. Everybody was going, yeah, what? Okay. Every one of us in this auditorium and across this community is flawed. There ain't none perfect. But yet God loved me. And if God would pay such a price for me that he would send his son. And God exhibits love in every facet of his being. Should I not do the same for you? Every head bow, every eye closed. Father God, as we're preparing to sing to you again today as we're preparing this altar call, as you're preparing the hearts of your people, Father God, thank you that I have found a place that I belong. And at one time it was in friendships that I didn't need or in relationships I didn't need. At one time I was trying to find this koinonia, this, this fellowship, this relationship into the world. We've tried everything that we know to try and it all came up empty until one day your light shined upon my life. And when your light shined upon me, I was no longer in darkness, but in light. And when I felt your love around me, I was just then able to start loving myself. Father God, I pray this for the people who are out there. There are many hurting people today. They're lonely. They're scared. They're fearful. It might be anything from a job loss to a mate loss to the coronavirus to just this life, this culture, what's the future going to hold, what's politics going to hold, what's this world going to hold. But God, you said perfect love cast out fear. We don't have to fear. We have you. And just like a father would protect his children, you protect us on a daily basis. Now, God, I pray that the people today in this congregation feel your love first, the love that Jesus Christ has for them, that he would die on Calvary's cross, that he would be buried, that he would rise again the third day, proving that he was God, proving that he was the Messiah, and giving salvation to all that receive him. God, I pray today that those lonely hearts will have a relationship with you and that they will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are theirs. God, I pray for a second kind of love. And I pray this, I pray for the hurting souls out there that they'll find the fellowship that we have in this church among brothers and sisters. I pray that you will help comfort them, that you'll help us reach out to them. I pray that you help us to identify them and answer those needs according to your will. And God, may we truly be a beacon of light in this community as a koinonia, as a fellowship, as a brotherhood, as a family. Because you first loved us. My God, help us to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Rex. Let's stand as we sing these words together now. Holy Spirit, rain down. 
this is your first time attending, me and my wife will be in the VIP area. We would love to meet you. In the back of the seats, as Miss Brittany so elegantly described, there is two uh, cards back there. One happens to be purple. Bring me that purple one. We'll fill out the information. We have a gift that we would love to give you. Second thing is that brochure that helps you to connect with our church and tells you more about our church. We have a wonderful website that uh, you can go to at decaturebaptist.org. Brother Joe will be back next Sunday, and we're just very, very glad that you're here today. If we can do anything as a church to help you, then give us a call. We'd be glad to reach out to you in any way. Brother Rex, anything else? It's been a good morning, amen. Amen. Let Brother know, Danny know, we appreciate his message this morning. Amen, amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather today. Lord, again, you are, uh, again, an amazing God. Thank you that we, are, that we have victory because of you. Lord, I pray that we'll be the kind of church family that we need to be in connecting with one another. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.